Good morning. I hope you enjoyed our last spring shower on, what was that, Wednesday night? It, it, it felt like it was springtime. The rain was coming down, the, the air was fresh, and who here was praying for snow? Come on, fess up. Okay, there's the hands. I knew someone had to have been praying for snow, so your prayer is answered. And uh, we're, we're also thankful for the snow. It is beautiful outside. It is a beautiful reminder to us as well of what the Lord has done for us. We're continuing on in our Advent series on this third Advent, uh, our third installment. We began the journey uh, three weeks ago. We went on a cosmic journey back to before the creation of the world to discover that Jesus coming to earth in this way, Jesus coming to be the Lamb of God, was not God's plan C or D, it was God's plan A from the very beginning. Last week we looked at the fall in the garden. And we heard God's proto-evangelium, or first gospel declaration, all the way back when he said to the serpent, that you will wound his heel. And so Jesus' heel was wounded on the cross of Calvary. But that this seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus, would ultimately prevail to crush the serpent's head. And he did this by rising victorious from the grave, and thereby defeating sin, Satan, and death itself. And now this morning, we are going to go on our third installment, and we're going to focus in on the specific revelation of Jesus as the Lamb of God through the lens of the Old Testament ritual of animal sacrifice. So let me just throw out a little cautionary disclaimer at the beginning of this sermon, that if you are one of those people who gets squeamish or perhaps even faints at the sight of blood, any of you like that this morning? I, Barb knows how squeamish I get with needles, so uh, she had to, she had to uh, see me through one of those experiences once. If you get squeamish with uh, the sight of blood, then maybe you'll want to go get a damp cloth ready and maybe a cup of water or some cheese and crackers if you need that as well. Because this morning, this sermon is going to contain a lot of it. In fact, the entire Bible overflows with blood. As Martin Dehan once wrote, The Bible is a book of blood, wholly distinct from all other books for just one reason, namely that it contains blood circulating through every page and verse. From Genesis to Revelation, we see this stream of blood. And of course, we know where this stream leads to. It leads to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we are going to look at why this was necessary as we journey through the Old Testament. Would you bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we recognize this morning, once again, that we are utterly dependent on you and your provisions on our behalf. We thank you that through your word and through the songs that have been sung, we have reminded ourselves again that you are faithful. You are faithful to your word, you are faithful to your promises, you are faithful to your people. And so, Lord, this morning we gather again as testimony to your faithfulness. We are here today because of you, and we give you great thanks and worship for it. And so now, Lord, as we lift up our hearts to you, we pray that you would help us to set aside our distractions, set aside those cares of the week and those things that are going on later on today. Help us to focus in on what you have for us this morning as we draw together into your presence to hear from your word. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint this word. Speak through me. May the words be yours. 
Speak to each heart, Lord, what we need to hear today in your name. Amen. Two brothers named Kevin and Ryan, ages five and three respectively, were waiting for breakfast one morning as their mother was preparing pancakes for them. The boys began to argue quite loudly over who would get the first pancake hot off the griddle. While their mother saw this as an opportunity for a teaching moment, a moral lesson. And so she says to them, you know, if Jesus were sitting at the table here today, he would say something like, I will wait. Let my brother have the first pancake. And while immediately Kevin's eyes lit up and turning to his younger brother, he said, guess what, Ryan? Today you get to be Jesus. (laughs) Doesn't that about sum up how kids operate? Always looking for an angle. You know, the truth is that while most of us appreciate the fact that Jesus sacrificed himself for us, very few of us would willingly go through what he did for someone else. Very few of us willingly desire to sacrifice of our own selves. But as we've learned, before God even created the world, before he even spoke the words, let there be light, He had already agreed upon the plan of salvation. Between the Father, Son, and Spirit, they had predetermined the plan. It was agreed upon, and the Son was willing. He was willing. This was not forced upon him. Revelation 13, verse 8, refers to Jesus as the Lamb who was slain from before the creation of the world. And throughout the pages of the Old Testament, book by book and line by line, we see God's plan for the sacrificial lamb emerge. And so this morning, we're going to take a very quick survey of some of those quick passages. If you have your Bible, please turn with me as we begin to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. We're picking up right where we left off last week. Last week, we left off in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the declaration And now in verse 21, here we see the first foreshadowing of the Lamb beginning to emerge directly after the fall. Verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of animal skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. Now it's very easy to read this verse and just keep right on trucking. This verse doesn't say very much to us unless we stop and really think about the implications of this statement. The Lord God made garments of cotton? Polyester blend? No. Garments of animal skin. Now, what this is telling us is that an animal needed to die in order for this garment, this animal skin, to be made. And this is very, very significant. Remember that the first consequence of sin was that Adam and Eve realized what? What was the very first thing that they realized something was different? They realized they were naked. They realized they were naked. They were ashamed for the first time and they attempt to cover themselves with fig leaves. However, their attempts were entirely inadequate. It just wasn't doing the job. Try as they might, they could not cover up their sin, and neither can we, by the way. Sin deserves and demands death. And so only a death can cover up or atone for sin. Now, does that sound harsh or unfair? Well, I'm sure it seemed that way to the animal that had to die in order to clothe Adam and Eve. 
But that was the penalty. Sin demanded death. Blood was shed for the first time. Does that sound unfair? Well, God did warn them of the consequences beforehand by clearly stating in Genesis 3.17, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So is that unfair? Hardly. Does the player get to tell the referee the rules of the game? Does the baseball get the right to complain about the cruelty of being hit by a baseball bat repeatedly? As hard as humanly possible. Does the, does the ball get to complain about that? Of course not. The creator makes the game and sets the rules the players must abide by. And if they don't, there are consequences. And sure, the player often will argue the call, but have you ever seen a referee change his call because a player argued? Anyone? I've tried it. It doesn't work. It's never worked for me. So depending on the severity of the infraction, penalties are then assessed. Players may even be ejected from the game. Fines can be issued. Suspensions given out. In the same way, we, the creation, do not get to tell the creator what to do or how to do it. Sure, we can try, but it won't get us very far. So whether or not we think it's harsh or unfair, the reality is the wages of sin is death. And so the very first death in history happened when God kills an animal and uses its hide to make clothing to cover Adam and Eve's shame as a consequence of their sin. The immediate consequence of the first sin Make no mistake about it, the first consequence was the first shedding of blood. Sin demanded death. We move along in the narrative of Genesis to Genesis chapter 4. Here we see Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, of course, the first sons born into this world. But Cain and Abel were not born into a perfect world. They are born now into a fallen world. And Cain and Abel are giving offerings to God. We know the story well. Abel gives an offering of sheep. He's a shepherd, and he gives of what he has. He gives a sheep. While Cain offers grain, he's a farmer. He offers the grain, the fruit of his fields. We know that God accepts Abel's offering, but rejects Cain's offering. They both gave the best of what they had, but there was one distinct difference. The difference was that Abel's offering included the shedding of of blood. And so from the time of the fall, the picture begins to emerge that in order for sin to be covered, in order for God to receive this as an atonement, blood was necessary. A sacrificial lamb was required. And the reason is simply put and explained much later on in the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22, a clear statement is given that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now we move ahead in the Genesis narrative to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to focus on this passage this morning. The great flood has come and gone. The people of the earth have begun spreading out. Tribes and nations are being formed. And God decides that the time is right to begin implementing the next phase of his master plan through a man named Abram. I trust you know his story. God calls Abraham, as he would come to be known, He calls Abraham to leave his home. Out of a clear blue sky, as far as we know, he calls Abraham, leave your home, leave your family, go to a land that I will show you. 
And he promises Abraham along the way descendants more numerous than stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. He promises him that through those descendants, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And on faith alone, Abraham obeys. He pulls up stakes, leaves town, doesn't even know where he's going. God says, trust me, follow me, I will show you the way. And so Abraham goes. Of course, the story continues. Years go by. A problem begins to emerge. Abraham and his wife Sarah, they're barren. They cannot have children. They are childless. For someone who believes God that he's going to have a great nation, it's got to start with at least one child, doesn't it? This is a problem. It's a test of faith. Many years pass by, and in this time, Sarah has become an old woman. And she loses her patience. She's beyond the years of even being able to have children, and a terrible mistake is made as a result. But finally, well into their old age, God keeps his promise. Sarah conceives, and Isaac is born. The long-awaited son of promise has arrived. The joy of his mother, the pride of his father, Isaac is living proof to them that God is faithful, that he will keep his word. It can be trusted. Everything's back on track. Everything's going according to plan. That is, until God decides to test Abraham's faith once more. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. This has been called by many the most shocking verse in all of Scripture. It shocks us. It shocks our sensibilities. It shocks our our, our picture of God. It tests our picture of God. Abraham, we don't know what he was thinking when he heard these instructions, but I can only imagine that he must have been thinking something like, uh, uh, excuse me, Lord? I- excuse me? Did I hear you right? Do I, did I lose something in translation? I mean, you gave me this, son. That was a test of faith. We waited till we were a hundred years old before you gave us this son. And now you want me to sacrifice him? This is beyond harsh. This is beyond unfair. This seems cruel and unusual. But nowhere in the text does it say that Abraham argued with God. He doesn't argue. He doesn't delay He obeys, and the very next day, the text says early in the morning, Abraham gets up, gets Isaac, gets a couple of servants, loads up, and they head out to the mountain. The journey takes three days. On this three-day journey, I can only imagine what must have been going through Abraham's mind on this journey. Verse 6 tells us that Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his own son Isaac while he himself carried the fire and the knife. The fire and the knife. The instruments of sacrifice. And we don't often stop to consider the visceral, messy, and unpleasant aspects of sacrifice. But I want you to get a little bit more of a sense of it this morning. 
There's nothing like a prop to drive home a point. This is my hunting knife. This is what I will use to field dress a deer, what some people refer to as gut a deer, where you open it up and you take out all of its internal organs. It is very sharp. This knife can do damage very quickly. Abraham is walking along with his son, carrying the fire and the knife. The weight of knowledge that he carries for three days is something that I cannot even begin to imagine. Now, if you've ever helped butcher an animal on the farm, has anyone here ever helped butcher animals on the farm? I know a lot of you have, so you you have a concept of this. You know that there are really, you, you do it as humanely as possible. You usually do it in such a way that the animal doesn't even know it's co- coming. It's over before they even know it, if you do it well. The animal hardly knows what's coming. It's over quickly. But you know that in that process, as you begin to process the animal, and as you clean it, as, as you've field dress it, so to speak. You gut it. You begin cutting it up. There is literally no way to slaughter an animal without getting its blood on your own hands. You just can't do it. You can maybe wear rubber gloves to keep it off your hands, but you will have blood on your hands. There is no way around this. Now, I have cousins in the city who think that meat comes from the grocery store. (laughs) They have no concept of this, of what goes into processing an animal. It's a very real thing. But the reality is that there will be blood. It will be on you. Abraham knows this. He has sacrificed, processed many animals before. And as he carries the knife, he alone carries the immense burden of knowledge that this time, this time, it will not be a lamb's blood on his hands. It will be the blood of his son. His only son whom he loves more than his own life. And so as they're walking along in verse 7, Isaac asks his dad a seemingly innocent question. They're journeying along, and Abraham must have been doing a, a good job of trying to keep his fears and what was coming to himself, because Isaac is unaware, and they're walking along, and Isaac notices something. He knows they're going to perform a sacrifice, but he notices... They're missing a key ingredient of a sacrifice. And he asks his dad this question. The fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? Dad, aren't we forgetting something? We're going to sacrifice. Where is the lamb? I want us to stop on this question right here for just a moment. This simple question of Isaac, asked in innocence, this simple question summarizes the entire Old Testament. In fact, I might go so far as to say that this question summarizes the entire history of mankind's predicament. Our sin demands death, but none of us want to pay the price. We don't want to die We don't want to die the death that our sin demands. So where is our lamb? Where is the one who will die in my place? 
Where is the blood that will cover my sin? Indeed, Isaac's question asked some 4,100 years ago still echoes throughout all of history. Where is the lamb? It is an urgent question that demands an answer. At the time of the Exodus, as the angel of death prepared to pass over the houses of the Hebrews and the Egyptians alike, ready to strike dead every firstborn son, the question rang out, Where is the lamb? For it was only the houses with the lamb's blood smeared on the doorposts. It was only those houses whose firstborn were spared. It was only those houses that the angel of death passed over. The lamb must die. Its blood, a protective covering over all in the house. Then as the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness, God gave them very specific instructions for the sacrifice of atonement. For instance, when the high priest gave the sacrifice on behalf of the nation, he was to dip his fingers in the animal's blood. Blood is on his hands. He dips his fingers in the animal's blood and sprinkles it upon the mercy seat. The mercy seat is there in the temple. He sprinkles the blood upon it. And in some instances, he would also flick the blood upon the people surrounding the altar. And remember, they're wearing their good church clothes. Now just imagine here this morning a different scene. Where worship was conducted not in this manner, but there would be an altar here instead. You would witness a death. You would see blood. The blood would be sprinkled. And maybe some of it would be sprinkled upon you. Very specific. And so for nearly 2,000 years, with countless thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sacrifices being offered, the question continued to ring out, where is the lamb? And to this question, Abraham's reply of faith still rings true today. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God himself will provide. Now, if I put myself in Abraham's place in this story, even for a moment, and I replace Isaac's name with Declan, my own son, it's more than I can handle. I cannot go to that place for very long. It all seems so cruel and so unfair. How could a loving father ask this of a man. The story is told that once for family devotions, Martin Luther read the account of Abraham offering Isaac on the altar. His wife, Katie, said, I do not believe it. God would not have treated his son like that. But Katie, Luther replied gently, He did. He did. And just As Abraham had the knife raised in the air, ready to strike his own son, the knife is in his hand. The voice of the angel calls out to him, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replies. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looks up, and there in the thicket he sees a ram caught by its horns. 
He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Hallelujah. Amen. Can you imagine the euphoria? Can you imagine, imagine the release of tension? The joy, the ecstasy, the release of of all of this burden that he's been carrying for three whole days, believing that he would descend that knife, he would plunge it down into his own son, and now there's a substitute. His son is spared. The ram dies instead. Now as we hear this story, I recognize that to modern sensibilities, this story is difficult. It seems distasteful and barbaric and cruel to us, but all of this was a powerful symbol revealing the one yet to come. The animal died instead of Isaac. It took his place. Isaac had asked the question, where is the lamb? How thankful must he have been later that night that God did provide a substitute for him. And so where is our lamb? Where is our substitute? The prophet Isaiah points ahead. Chapter 53, verse 7. He prophesies, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And finally, John the Baptist introduces him, that lamb, to the world. In John chapter 1, verse 29, he sees the man coming And he declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Abraham and Isaac didn't know it at the time. But they were in fact revealing far in advance God's master plan for the salvation of the world. The parallels between Isaac and Jesus Christ are striking. First, they are both only sons. Listen again to verse 2, what God emphasizes. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Then listen to what God the Father says about Jesus in Matthew 3, verse 17. Notice the similarities. A voice comes from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love. The echoes carry over to what Jesus says about his father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. They're both only sons. Secondly, they're both long-awaited fulfillments of a promise. Isaac being the firstborn son of a great nation, Abraham and Sarah had to wait many years for his birth. And Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, is the long-awaited Messiah and the firstborn from the dead into an eternal kingdom. Thirdly, they both carried the wood for their own sacrifices. Isaac the firewood and Jesus the cross. Fourthly, both had a three-day journey. Isaac had a three-day journey to the mountain. Jesus had a three-day journey into the grave. Fifthly, both had to willingly submit to their father's will. The text indicates that Isaac did not resist. He did not struggle. He allowed Abraham to bind him. And so too, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I willingly lay it down. Sixthly, both were to be sacrificed on the same mountain. It's fascinating to me that there is universal agreement among the ancients that the mountaintop upon which Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac was Mount Moriah. 
which is identified as the same location upon which the temple of Jerusalem and nearby Calvary were positioned. So in the very spot where Isaac was placed on that altar, the very place where the substitute was revealed, the ram caught in the nearby thicket, the very place where for centuries the high priest offered the sacrificial lamb on behalf of the nation, is the very same place that the Son of God, the perfect lamb without spot or blemish, willingly carried his cross, went up the mountain, and paid the price of our redemption. Never forget, the Lamb received God's wrath so you can receive God's mercy. The Lamb paid the price your sins and mine deserve so that we can be forgiven. The Lamb took your cross so that you can take your seat in heaven. Never forget, you are under the blood of the Lamb. Your sins are covered over like a fresh blanket of snow covering the ground. The way to God the Father has been made clear forever through the perfect Lamb of God, none other than His own Son, His only Son, begotten of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. The way to God the Father has now been made open forever. The doors to heaven are standing wide open And Jesus is standing there saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is no other way to the Father but through me, the Lamb of God who takes away all sins. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for today? Don't hold back. Don't shy away. Don't keep your distance. The Father is waiting for you. And make no mistake about it. This call applies to believers as much as anyone else. You see, too often, even as Christians, we can allow our guilt or our shame of our past sins to keep us from entering God's presence right now, today. So let me just ask you, if you plan on living in God's presence for all of eternity, shouldn't we start practicing now? If we are going to dwell in his glory forever, shouldn't we relish his glory today and do everything we can to enter into his presence? Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 22 tells us this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus Christ is our one and only way to the Father. He is our atonement. He is our purification. He is God's lamb offered for the sins of us all. However, Jesus' blood saves only if it is applied. The blood needs to be applied. For those who reject the blood, even the lamb of God cannot save them. If you want to experience freedom from bondage, if you want to break the sin and the power, the power of sin in your life, 
If you want to avoid the sure judgment of God that sin demands, the Lamb's blood must be applied over the doorway of your heart. Janet Daly writes this story. During the Second World War, the Jewish philosopher Walter Benjamin fled across Europe from the Nazis. After a week of running and hiding through occupied France, he finally reached his longed-for destination of Spain. From there, he would be made possible to escape to America and to freedom. But on the day that he arrived at the border, that border, which had been known to be open up until that point, was closed. Armed guards stood at every entrance. There was no way across. And with his pursuers closing in behind him and vowing never to be taken captive, in utter despair, Walter Benjamin gave up. He committed suicide. And with the most bizarre of paradoxes, the border reopened the very next day. The closure had only been a temporary contingency. After striving and running and hiding, Benjamin had lost all hope. He had come to a closed border. There was no way across. And maybe some of you here today have been striving for a long time. You've been working really hard. You've been doing so much. By your own effort, you feel that you've, you've been doing what you can to be worthy of entering God's presence. But the border is closed. You cannot remove the guilt and the weight of your own sin yourself. There is only one way across that border. Only one passport into the kingdom of God. It is only by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you have a guilty conscience today? Do you feel hopeless? Is your heart heavy laden? Is your faith struggling? Apply the blood. Just one drop of his precious blood is enough. Don't be stingy. Don't hold back. For he did not hold back one drop in purchasing our salvation. He gave it all. That crimson tide flowed freely. It flowed fully until every last drop was given, until every last sin was covered, until every sinner, past, present, and future, including me, was pardoned because it was covered by the blood. And he declared, It is finished. It is done. And now I don't know what your sins or struggles are. All I know is that if you're human like me, you have them. We all have sins and struggles. I don't need to know what they are, but I can tell you exactly what you need to do. Apply the blood. Apply the blood of the Lamb, whether for the first time or the thousandth time. Receive God's wonderful grace, and you will find pardon you will find peace. And you will find hope that you never dreamed imaginable. Apply the blood. He's waiting for you. Father God, we give you glory today for what you have done. That you did not spare your son, your only son, 
whom you love. From before the creation of the world, you did not count that cost too high, but you willingly allowed him to go to the cross to receive the blows, the nails, the death that we deserved so that by his death we can be pardoned. We praise you today, Lord Jesus, that you went to the cross willingly. No one forced you. You laid down your life of your own accord, and we give you all glory and praise today. And so now, Lord Jesus, I just want to pray today that by your power, by this great plan that you have unveiled to all of us so clearly here today, Lord Jesus, would you just pour out your presence, your power, and your grace on anyone here today who needs to apply your great sacrifice to their lives right now. Oh, Holy Spirit, just pour it out. Pour it out like a gentle flood, Lord. We just pray that right now, whoever needs to receive that application on their lives, oh, Lord, may we receive it freely, willingly, knowing that you willingly gave it for us. Lord Jesus, pour out your grace, and may we willingly receive it today. In your name. Amen.